ball is high. It is far. It is gone to win the game. The Mets are on their way back. World champions for the 27th time. Home plate for all things Major League Baseball. This is the Nosebleeds Podcast on WFUV Sports. Hello and welcome back to Nosebleeds. This is WFUV's best, if only, baseball podcast. I did not take that from five on three, but it, it, it is. Uh, I am joined, of course, by two eminent uh, voices in the baseball world, Lou Orlando and Matty Bamonte. Uh, we have some representation from both sides of New York. And today we are going to be talking about Yoshinobu Yamamoto and the fantastic story that that has been on this side of the country. I'm in Los Angeles. However, this has not been an excellent story for the two New York teams. Before we get into that, uh, Lou Orlando and Matty Bumonte, how does it feel um, for Yoshinobu Yamamoto to not be in New York? Oh, it feels great, man. Just a- absolutely thrilled to be here. <laughs> December 23rd, not home yet for some reason, so still in the broad. Listen, I'm just really happy to be here with two friends talking about something that I'm very happy about. Nowhere else I'd rather be. Maddie, how's life over by you? <laughs> well, I wanted to start out by saying, have you guys ever heard of the Christmas song, Fairy Tale in New York? Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah, that's not what, happening. Which word would you like to say for Matt's song specifically? <laughs> I would like to use the word maggot in particular to describe how this has racked my brain and ruined my day just as much as, you know, anybody else. And the boys in the NYPD choir sure aren't singing for this this scenario. Yeah, Maddie, I was going to say, this is going to be a pretty terrible 48 hours for you. I mean, we get to talk about how the Mets offer Yamamoto an identical contract to the Dodgers, and he just says, absolutely not, I'm going to Los Angeles. And then after that, we get to watch uh, the New York Islanders and Carolina Hurricanes play. You're headed there. We get to watch the Islanders absolutely crush the Carolina Hurricanes, and then we get to talk about it tomorrow morning on Five on Three. So this is going to be a great, uh, this is going to be a great little stretch, but we're talking about baseball today. We're talking about baseball Yamamoto, 12 years, $325 million. It came out yesterday that uh, I believe deferrals will come in the sixth and eighth year, which means if he does decide to do that, however, the pay structure is sort of idealized to where he will be getting most of the money later in the contract. What do you guys think? This is the largest deal for any pitcher in MLB history, surpassing the nine-year, $324 million contract that Garrett Cole signed with the Yankees and the guy has not thrown a pitch in the major leagues. Is that risky? I, I mean, can, yeah. Can we be like, so for real right now? Like, dude, this is insane. <laughs> this is so crazy. The entire free agent market stopped because of a player that has not thrown a pitch to major league players outside of the world baseball classic. And Alex Verdugo hit a double off of him. So I don't even know where we get into that, but like, Dude, I saw that video. I think it, listen, I get it because 25 year old Phenom, like those guys don't get to free agency that early. So, like, sure, throw your bag at him and like you have a chance to get a nice young, controllable pitcher for a really long time. But at the same time, I think it's really funny that the NL Cy Young winner from last season had to wait until a guy that hasn't stepped foot in the major leagues got his bag. And 12 years, 325 is a lot of money. And I, I will be so upfront right now. I'm going to be the biggest hater ever. 
I get like the guys that have come from Japan recently have been awesome. Like Shohei, amazing. Kode Sanga's first year was great. Like I, he's probably going to be good. I hope that he's just like the biggest bust of all time. That would be so funny. I just think recently life has sucked. Um, I don't, I, I just like, it sucked. Like the Shohei thing was one thing. That fraud contract. We're not talking about that like, today, but that that's the only reason you can sign Yamamoto right now because he's it's eight two million a year. I don't care that it's legal. It's a, it's a there, there are certain things that are legal in this world that should not be, and yet that occurred in Major League Baseball, and I am upset. I didn't even want him on the Mets. I didn't. I didn't care. But to see this go down is upsetting to me. Number one, what's there not to like about Queens? I don't I don't know what he saw in Queens that he was he did he see the redevelopment programs that were putting together to restructure Queens? Did he see what his future could be? He obviously didn't. And to speak to it, bring up the dinner, the the fleece dinner that occurred in which Yamamoto met with Steve Cohen. He took him out to a nice dinner. They had a great meal. He offered him the money. And then he just he just said no, thank you. Well, the, the the other really funny part about that is that while he was at that dinner, he then texted the Yankees and initiated a second meeting while he was with Steve Cohen. <laughs> speaking speaking of two, didn't the Yankees also like give him a number? Yes, I was I was about to ask you guys. I was about to ask you guys what is a worse punch in the gut? Being at dinner with Steve Cohen and texting the Yankees while you're on a date with Daddy Steve, or is it worse that you are given a personalized video from Hideki Matsui? He signs a jersey for you. Aaron Boone gives you a numbered jersey and says, we want you on our team. And then the next day you sign with the Los Angeles Dodgers. What, what, what is more disrespectful? I think, I think it's the jersey because the dinner happens every day. The dinner, the girls left and right be doing the dinner. They, that is no stranger to many men in this world. The jersey is just like here, like this is for you. This is a gift. Um, a dinner is a dinner at the end of the day. Food is food. But that was a time jersey. And it was so funny because the I just think that in a way, I should have seen this coming because a lot of these like Japanese players like to stay on the West Coast anyway. It's proximity. It's all of this stuff. Like the the markets are good. But I was convinced for some reason that like Kodai Sango was going to have more of a role in this kind of thing. And he had a little bit of a role, like not going to lie, but it wasn't enough to be like, yeah, the East Coast is where you should be. I think it came down to like he just strictly didn't want to be on the East Coast. And was like, let's just see what I can get for all of this stuff. Well, and you're overlooking it's interesting. the interesting. Yankees are just nice people and gave him a jersey because they realize, at the end of the day, it, it's about the brotherly bond of Major League Baseball. We don't see different teams. We see a, a young phenom and we go, we want you to have this. It doesn't matter if you come to us. We want you to have this Hideki Matsui jersey and maybe Aaron Boone's jersey if you want it. That was the yeah. Aaron Boone jersey. Maybe was- if you it was conditional. It was conditional on him coming here so he doesn't get the Aaron Boone jersey. So that's important to note. Shrewd business. Yeah, you got him. You got him. <laughs> you got him so good. It, it's interesting you bring up Kodai Sango because I do want to talk about the state of the Mets rotation now that Yamamoto is not on the table. Because 
good heavens, I was looking at this and I was I was going to cry on your behalf and I don't even care about this team. Kodai Senga is the ace of your staff and he had a fantastic year. Finished 12 and 7, 29 starts with a 2.98 and 202 strikeouts. That's finishing seventh in the National League Cy Young. I honestly think he deserved to be a little bit higher. And that's the only praise you're going to be giving him. No, I, I think he's great. You also have Luis Severino, who is coming off one of the worst years a pitcher can have, maybe ever. It's halfway through the year. He said to the media, I feel like I am the worst pitcher in baseball. The Mets heard that and said, oh boy, let's get you on our team. And we also have Jose Quintana. I thought he was pretty dependable. Uh, he's 34 and missed the season because he had a bone graft. So that'll be interesting. And then what you have, who else do you have? Uh, Hauser? Peterson's still around? Uh, I think he's still, I think he's like playing in the minor leagues right now. They keep sending him down and up. He's like, he's like wishy-washy, right. but he's around. Well, the, the Mets did acquire um, Hauser and uh, to, and they sent away their prospect, Coleman Crow, uh, in a deal with the Brewers. And man, I, what, how, how do you win games when you only have one reliable starting pitcher? Explain this to me. So I'm going to, I'm going to get on my soapbox for a second. Do it. I am not happy, uh, not happy with Steve Cohen. Um, I just think this is a bigger problem than the starting pitching. I want to go bigger for a second. We've Ooh. had a rotation of GMs. We have had coaches left and right. Uh, that hasn't worked. So there's no foundation to even build with this team. It, it's like we're starting from scratch every single season and we're trying out different tactics and yet none of them have worked. Um, I, I don't know where we go with this because I think the pitching market looks a little different now. And I think the Mets are much more scared to go after a lot of different pitchers after what we just saw out of um, the whole Verlander scenario, the Scherzer scenario. So like, would I like to see a guy like Michael Lorenzen, like pitch for the Mets? Yeah. But do, do I think he necessarily fits with what is happening in this? I don't know if it would be a service to him to do something like that. Like as much as I'd like to see him, I don't know where he fits in all of this. Um, I think it, there's just a lot mess, like a huge mess going on with this front office. And I don't think they know what they want to do. And so with who, like who else is on the market? Like Clevenger's on the market, I think. Um, I, like Ryu maybe like, but I, I think that it's just difficult because the Mets are in this scenario where like, they don't want to go after big name pitchers anymore. They saw how that played out. They know age is a problem now, but you tried and you put your all your cards on the table for Yamamoto and it completely failed for you. And now you kind of look stupid to the rest of the league for what you did. You wined and dined a guy for months. You got on your plane to Japan. You did all of this just for him to say, no, thank you. Like, no, thank you. We have no like dignity anymore. Like we stooped to a level with this that I think was stupid even though I felt like this was the right move, it we have nobody. I I think it's going to be really difficult for us to acquire pitchers like this going forward. I, I would like. You're- let me say this about the entire situation. I would not rather be the Mets right now. I agree they're in a weird mess, and I think the vision is weird. But I do think there is a benefit to not getting Yamamoto and not necessarily feeling the pressure to have to pivot. 
because if you're the Yankees right now, like you have to get an arm. Your five, your number five guy right now is Clayton Beater. Nice prospect, but even within like that, they have to go get someone. They have to pivot. I, I don't know if you love the pitching market right now because the Mets are in a spot where they have to rebuild and they've openly admitted that we're not trying to win a World Series this year. You don't have the pressure of, all right, now we have to go and, and give Snell a bag, or now we have to chase a guy like Clevenger or Ryu, guys that you might be on the fence about. Yankees might be in a spot where like they're going to have to give a guy that they're not all in on a contract, and it might not be a, a one-year deal either. So at least here with the Mets, yes, it's a mess right now, but you have time to figure your stuff out where there's not necessarily pressure to rebound from this and go, okay, we didn't get Yamamoto. You're in a weird spot where, yeah, if a franchise guy comes available, like Yamamoto, if you believe that can be an ace in your arm for the next decade, like, yeah, you have the money and you have the ability to go out there and offer him a contract, and that might expedite your rebuild, and then you might be able to be competitive. But if it falls through like this, like, you can sit tight, and this can be a weird middling year for the Mets where they kind of figure out their direction. I don't think it's the end of the world. I think that's a good point. Because well, most of the big arms in the free agent market are gone. Uh, Aaron Nola was gone. Uh, we had Sonny Gray. He's gone. Uh, really, the two big arms that are left, I would argue, are Jordan Montgomery and Clayton Kershaw. And oh. those Kershaw, Kershaw's not going anywhere. I'm, I'm sorry. That's just after watching a decade and a half of Clayton Kershaw play for the Dodgers, his name is synonymous with this team. I, I He would take a remarkably team-friendly deal. Jordan He's Montgomery, actually a Pittsburgh however, pirate, Nick. Sorry to break it to you. <laughs> that's where he wants to end his career, for sure. He would love it in Pittsburgh. Uh, I do want to talk about Jordan Montgomery, though. Former Yankee. Uh, goes to the Cardinals. Ends up on a World Series winning team with other former Yankees in the names of Nathan Avaldi, Aroldis Chapman. Uh, and has probably the best year of his career, sets himself up beautifully for free agency. Should the Yankees seek a reunion with Jordan Montgomery? Would that be prudent? I think that's probably the best thing they can do here. I think the what fans might clamor for, I'll be, I think the fan base is a little torn in it, but the way Yankee fans get, they're usually like, all right, let's throw all our money at the next best guy. And a lot of that dialogue has been about Blake Snell, because again, NL Cy Young, and he was pretty good last year, but... Yankees have seen Snell a lot, and he really is an up-and-down guy. Where even last year, like, Snell was awesome, but had a ton of issues with walks and letting guys on base. And I do kind of worry about translating that to Yankee Stadium and just the way that we've transitioned free agent pitchers really outside of Cole. Like, guys that come here, it feels like they take a little bit of a step back. Rodon named the last year, where I think Monty's a safe play in You've already dealt with him before, and frankly, he's taken a step since he left your organization. So as long as you don't mess with the development that he's had post-Yankees, where, I mean, the big critique of him when he was at the Yankees is, all right, he doesn't have a a main one or two pitches. He has this five-pitch mix, and every game we're going in, figuring out which one's going to be the best one going in. And I would take an inning or two, and it usually led him into trouble. Well, now he's figured out his pitch mix, and it worked really well, and again, part of a really good Texas team dealt when he was with St. Louis, where I think that makes a lot of sense. And I I think it'd be interesting to see what type of contract he commands because he's pitched so well the last two years that, you know, he'll probably still get, I think four to five years and you're going to give him some solid money. I still think it's a safer play than Snell. Uh, I do worry about the Yankees feeling the pressure. Listen, they're going to need to get some pitching. Now you gave up a ton of pitching to get Soto and rightfully so, 
but now you got to go get yourself some pitching depth. So even if you get Monty or Snell, like you need more moves after that, but it's, Hey, who's going to be the guy that we want in our rotation to start the season. I like Monty. And I think that's, that's the play to make. I don't think that. I, I think that the only thing with that is I see a reunion a little bit more difficult. I think it's the right play, but I think internally there hasn't been much progress with him in terms of like how the Yankees let him go to where he is now. And going with that, I also think it it's, I think mentally it's also a thing for a player to go back to a team after you fixed all your problems and you realize that, okay, now I'm this cornerstone piece of trying to rebuild this. I have to be this step up for my team. Am I in this new role with them? Like, how do I adjust to this? It's like going back to your ex. And I don't know if he needs to be doing that because I think what he has worked on has been so great. And I think he had to do that somewhere else. And I don't know if going back is kind of, if he, I think honestly, he probably will take a step back if he comes back again just because of how it works i don't disagree at all first on like the it'd be weird and also on the take a step back like i mean if you think about the way monty's career with the yankees ended that last half season like he his era and paper and his expected era were both really good he was outside of a couple bluffs and he had a bad game against the mets like he was really good that half season and got no help from the yankees lineup and then when they traded him cashman was pretty open and was like we'd didn't expect Monty to be a major player in our playoff rotation. Like that's, I guarantee you Monty knows that that's something that's been floated out there. And so it's, I agree that it would not be a perfect reunion. I'm trying to think of past examples of a player leaving, getting better and then returning to his past team, especially with all the circumstances in which he left. I can't think of that many. So I do think it'd be awkward. I just think the Yankees are in a tough spot where the pitching market is so shallow and all of a sudden, by trading for Soto, you've kind of put yourselves in the corner of, we need to compete for a World Series this year. Because there's no guarantee Soto's coming back. Where, like, you have to make a move, and you're already banking on Rod- Rodon and Nestor bouncing back. Like, I don't think that you can just get, like, an uh, an aging number five guy in a rotation, everything's going to be fine. Like, you can't hedge your bets like that. You need to make a play for an impact on <laughs> Talking about reunions, I want to throw a hot Mets take out there and and, and see uh, what you think of this. You want a pitcher, right? And you don't want to pay a lot of money for him. You want a five-starter. How crazy is a reunion with Noah Syndergaard? No. <laughs> I don't I'm I asking don't how back. crazy it is. It's, it's not crazy in for the respect of... Contract. For it, it, it's not crazy in on paper. That man wants nothing to do with us. And I personally think I want nothing to do with him in regards of, like, if I had to pick, like, who could fill out the back half of my rotation, I would pull up David Peterson before I would start Noah Syndergaard in that case. I think, like, while Peterson is a little bit wishy-washy, especially in his early innings. I think he settles very nicely. I think he has a better temperament than Syndergaard. I think especially towards the end of like his career and what, what he did over with the Angels and, and everything, I just I haven't been impressed to him in the same level as I think I'd like to keep a Peterson around more um, and have him in the back pocket versus going out to get him. It's not crazy. 
I just don't think it would ever work out between the, the two teams. I really don't. That that was a little bit of a of a meme statement. Um, <laughs> however, however, yeah, sorry. Before before we depart from the Mets, uh, I do want to talk about Pete Alonso because this is this is what's next on the chopping block for the Mets. I, I mean, he's he's going to be a UFA after this year. If you guys don't resign this guy, I... so okay. Listen, this is why I was so anti um, Shohei Otani, because I was just like, we have a guy right here that is, I like your mug, by the way. I just saw it, Nick Only on the bottom. <laughs> All right, I got distracted. Well, it says Nick. It says your name on the bottom. It was just really well, funny. I, well, we, we have two identical mugs, so one is Oh, that's one. cool. Sorry. Yeah, non sequitur. Sorry. But anyway, um, no, I was very against um, Shohei Otani because – Number one, his arm is not where it's going to be for the next couple of years, depending on how the surgery goes, like how his rehab goes, all of this. I am not expecting him to be at the level he was for a period of time, if ever again, honestly, at this point. So you're really reliant on hitting. And while I have criticized Pete Alonso's hitting, I think he struggles to be consistent with getting on base. Um, He's a very good slugger at the end of the day, and he is the face were at least one of two faces for the New York Mets. And I think if it really came down to it, I want him as a franchise guy. They signed Nimmo for a long contract for to be a Met for life. I think Pete Alonso should get that same respect. Now that you have all of this money that you're not spending on Yamamoto, you're not spending it on Shohei Otani, you got to look and rebuild the foster system that you have in your own like backyard. Because I think... They're developing a lot of good talent in the minor leagues. Um, Ryan Clifford is developing very nicely in the minors. Um, there's a, like a lot of other young guys. Unfortunately, um, who went down with the Mauricio, ACL? Mauricio? Mauricio went down the other day with that, which is a, a blow to them. But it really is about, I think, rebuilding the balance between your minor league system and your major league system that I think has fractured over the past couple of seasons, especially with the new change in management. And so I think establishing that you are here instead of shopping around for everybody, start and show that you like your players that you currently have. Show other teams and other free agents you care about keeping your locker room credibility. You care about keeping all of these players together. And I think that's what's most important. And I think for every fault that you could say about Pete Alonso, he still is a major impact guy for this team. And so I, I want to see this contract happen. I think it will happen, to be frank, because I think now Steve Cohen has been backed into a corner by the fan base that's like, you need to re-sign the guy, especially when we've done nothing now. It's kind of what you have to do if, if you're in the face of the Mets, and if you don't do it, you've made a large mistake. Is, is there a number that you go like, no, we can't, we can't do that? Because, I mean, Cohen's got a lot of money. At the same time. I don't think there. I don't think there's a price point now because it would be one thing if the Yamamoto signing happened, and that's 325 million out the door. We haven't not done that. Who Hauser's not getting? Are you kidding? Like the, the Hauser <laughs> signing was the <laughs> drop, drop in the bucket. It was the it was the shark in the in the fish tank type thing. Um, it's to me in the grand scheme of it, it's not. Um, I, I think the money is kind of with, like limitless with him at this point. I mean, I feel like the conversation we have every year with the Mets and their offense is, all right, you have Alonzo in the middle of that lineup, but you like up and down that lineup, you lack a ton of power. And I just can't imagine if you take Alonzo out of that lineup, 
what it would look like. Because I mean, you're already talking, like I've already said, like, I think I've said before, like I love Lindor, but I think the Mets need another power bat that if you take Alonzo out of that lineup, like, what are you guys doing? Yeah, we, that's the thing that really lacks on the, there is no slugger besides him. Like you have your guys at the top, like Nemo at the top of the lineup will get on base. He'll do his job and Pete will then drive it home in like the three or four slot or in the four slot. But I agree. There is a lack of power hitting that we're just not seeing, but there's nobody to go for. Even in the system, like the guys that you have coming up, like Mauricio, can be an elite talent. Alvarez, I think, is going to be a great hitter, especially. Oh. And Beatty, we'll see what happens, right? But I don't think – even Alvarez, I don't think any of those guys are shaping up to be sluggers, not even the way that Alonzo is, but even, like, 30 – Vientos hits nukes, though. Huh? Vientos yeah, hits Viento- nukes, though. That's true. Vientos, Vientos has potential. Yeah. But it's like you don't have a ton of guys like that in your system that it's like you really can't afford – especially at this point to lose Alonzo, because I, I do think that two years from now, they're going to try and compete again. I even think they're going to be, they're going to try and be semi-competitive this season. And it's probably just not going to work out, but like 2025, I believe that they're going to get back and continue to spend big and try and win a world series that you can't do that. If you let Alonzo walk in previous. Right. I think it would just be a culture problem too. Like I think especially what was difficult over this off season or at the end of the season when Buck was let go was a major while I was fine with the decision at the end of the day was a major blow to your clubhouse the players loved him that's a major problem when you're stepping into this off season and you're saying okay well we got rid of a fan favorite from the players are we going to get rid of a guy who is a leader in the clubhouse now you can't do that and I think that's the issue with that is you got your cleaning house you're trying to redo things I don't think Stearns has been very accepted by the players in in like the management role. I don't think it's a very positive relationship right now. And so you're kind of just hedging your bets on starting off this new new season on the right foot. And that starts with the Pete Alonzo signing. And I think it's going to happen because Pete wants to see it happen. I think we were being finicky prior to this because we saw the potential of Shohei and Yamamoto on the market. I think the, Hopefully the mindset changes now to be like, we have the money. Let's just do it. Like give him what he asks for. But I think that was really holding them back and why we did not see anything at the end of this season in terms of a signing, because they were still, they heard rumors that this could be a possibility for them and this is what they could do. And it didn't work out. You have the money, just go for it. There you go. If you have the money, just go for it. Steve has been going for it, hasn't been going his way. However, that's how we're going to wrap up that segment before we go. Nick, I do want to ask you about the Dodgers a little bit because I – Oh, at their rotation. A question I mean, for me. Listen, I, I, want, I want to get – because I feel like we, we blew past the Dodgers, I think, a little too quickly and stuff like that. Like, mm. I also agree that I think Kershaw is coming back. If he slots into your rotation, because right now your, proje- your predicted number five is Emmett Sheehan, according to Fangraphs. But Love I think it. Right, that, that's going to be virtual. Like, how do you feel about the rotation? Because it is to write, Shohei can't pitch next year, so it, it's it's Yamamoto, Glass now has had a lot of injury issues. Walker Bueller is coming off an injury. And then it, it would be Kershaw, and who's the, hold on, let me, who's the last guy? Sheehan. Bobby Miller. Who's Bobby Miller, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, how do you um, feel about the rotation? I, I am so, I'm so ecstatic about this rotation. I, I, I honestly... I'm happy about it this year, even more excited about 
the year following. This this is a rotation that you could place arguably four of the top five pitchers as a number one starter on any team in baseball. This this rotation is absolutely disgusting. Walker Bueller is is one of the most underrated pitchers in baseball. Um, his fastball is is remarkable. Um, his ability to get uh, players to whiff and make soft contact is fantastic. Uh, Clayton Kershaw has been the most dominant pitcher and the most consistent pitcher in baseball over the last two decades. He, I think it's very rare he has a season where he posts an ERA over three. His career ERA is, is sitting around somewhere like a 2.5, 2.6. This guy is just built to play baseball. And then, obviously, you know, it, it hurts uh, losing uh, El Culici, uh Julio Rios after what happened there. I mean, I, the fans loved him, uh, especially like the large Mexican population of, you know, the Dodger fans. They really felt an affinity for him, unfortunately, due to his off-the-field actions, will not be playing anymore, good Lord. But Bobby Miller, Bobby Miller, had, and, and Emmett Sheehan, for that matter, had both excellent, excellent starting years. If you remember Emmett Sheehan's first two starts, he gave up one hit in his first two starts combined. He was throwing a no-hitter, and they pulled him in, like, the seventh inning in his first MLB start. It was remarkable. Um, he has a lot of comparisons to Max Scherzer uh, just in the way that he gets people to whiff. However, he does end up walking a lot of people. Uh, with that said, the Dodgers rotation is in a great spot from where it was at the beginning of free agency. You think about where it was before. No Otani, yo, no Yamamoto, no Glass now. This team was in shambles. Now they probably have the best rotation in baseball. This It's just such a turnaround, and it's so great to see. Can you stop? I okay. don't really like your team. All right. Well, that's that's you know that's that's why I'm going to end this on a fun note because I knew that as soon as I I said that that you would just fall dead in here. So let's do it. Like game. it. I'll just say, be, be careful, man, because the dialogue around the Dodgers, yeah, World Series favorites, star studded. The same yeah. way people talked about the Yankees when they got Stan. The same way they talked about the Dodgers when they got Mookie and Freeman. I think it's the way people talked about the Braves last year. Um, like I am not a hater typically. Mm-hmm. I'm mm-hmm. good. I I hope Yamamoto <laughs> has like a four eighty ra. I'm mm-hmm. gonna be rooting on that so hard. Uh, he's probably a nice guy. Don't care. Don't care at all. Okay. All right. Well, I will be uh, defending them all season long here okay. on Nosebleeds when I'm given the opportunity. But let's go down the remaining free agent list, and I just want to get one sentence from each of you. I'm going to give you a name. Tell me what you think of them and where you think they're going. Why not? It might be fun. Sure, it could be. Let's talk. Sure. All right. Uh, we'll start with Lou Orlando. Cody Bellinger. Do you think he's going to have another excellent year? And what team do you think needs him? Cody Bellinger is going to be good for like two, three more years. And then he's going to, he's going to get like that seven year crazy money that he's asking for. And whichever team is going to give him that is going to regret that. And the team that's going to regret that is the Toronto Blue Jays. He's such a Toronto Blue Jay. It's so obvious. He's going to the Blue Jays. He's going to be their center fielder. They're going to, they're going to, they're going to be so excited. He might have like uh, – he's not going to be as good as he was last year, but he'll have a fine year, and then maybe he'll have a nice – like really nice second year, and it's going to – it's going to go downhill again, I think. Do you I, agree? I, I liked him. At, I, I I liked him. I won the Yankees yeah. for him last year, but I got scared. As soon as I found out he was asking for big-time money, I was like, no thank you. Juan Soto is pretty good as well. So, you know. 
Cody uh, Bellinger to me, like if he could just open his eyes more than like a little bit when he's like asleep in the dugout every single game. Yeah, I'd love to see him somewhere. But I also agree. I think <laughs> I was being nice. <laughs> I was being you? PG. <laughs> me? You? Cody Bellinger? But, I mean, all things aside, I agree. I think it was like weird to see Cody Bellinger do what he did like and like actually perform to a very, very high caliber because he's always just like a middle of the road guy for me. Um, I agree. I think I do see him going to like a team like the Blue Jays. Um, I think that's just kind of where he's headed with something like that because he, I just think that he could do something. I don't think he's going to be the same level as he's going to be anymore. I think that was kind of a fluke. I don't know what he was doing, but you know, I hope, hope he succeeds. Just not near me. All I'll say is huge. I'm not usually this guy, but there's a huge difference between his batting average last year and the expected batting average. And usually those guys you'd say analytically are due for regression. Okay. Uh, let's talk Matt Chapman while we're talking about Toronto Blue Jays. He earned his fourth gold glove in 2023. He hit 240, I believe with 17 homers. That is not excellent. He is 30 years old, but he is arguably, and I, Man, he's right up there with, like, Arenado and Machado in terms of proficiency at playing the position of third base. What team do you think needs a solid third baseman? Um, I think this is kind of being a West Coast thing. I think Matt Chapman just belongs on the West Coast. I think he – I think after his, like – Tenure with Oakland, I just see him as a West Coast guy. And so therefore, I'm gonna go I'm gonna go kind of with what the trends have been saying, in which the Giants have a big interest in him. I hmm. think to me, that's kind of where they're gonna lie because I think while he um is getting a little bit up there in age, like he's what you said, 30 like now, or mm-hmm. or yeah. So I think for them. The Giants have like rebuilt their team in a way that was not entirely successful. And I think bringing more of a veteran guy in could help um, because they have potential and a lot of great players on their team, but I don't think they really have a direction yet. And I think it would be smart to try somebody like Chapman out on that team um, to at least make some rumblings on the West coast. Now that you have the Dodgers with everything going on, you need to at least do something and put up something. And I think Chapman might be a smart move to get him there. You could argue that the Giants have been losing out worse than the Mets in this offseason. For the past three, uh, for the past two, three offseasons. Yeah. Really? Yeah. yeah. They need a win. So They need a win. Maddie, I was actually, I was also thinking West Coast. I don't even know if it makes as much sense for this team as it does for the Giants, but I get like D-backs vibes from Matt Chapman. Like, I'd mm-hmm. totally be a D-back. I think Evan, Evan Longoria is gone. Like he's not producing at all. Listen, and they have they have Suar- Eugenio Suarez, so I think that makes it a little trickier. But I do think that that's a team that a lot of young talent just made the World Series, but probably could use a couple impact veterans. I think that was the idea behind having Longoria there for the last two three years. Uh, I could also see him go to like Milwaukee though. Like I feel like Milwaukee is a team that I feel like always gets those like middle tier free agents on like a four year deal. And I could I could totally see him be a brewer, but I'll go D backs mainly. Okay, well let, let's do our last one. Let's do our last one. Let's talk about a closer who is probably one of the best closers in baseball and Josh Hader. Hader is one of the most dominant bullpen arms in baseball. He's twenty nine years old, posted a one point two eight last year, 
with 85 Ks and 33 saves over 56.1 innings with the Padres. The Padres can't pay him. So what team do you think is going to, you know what, we're going to spend the money on a closer. It'll be worth it. What team do you think will end up landing Josh Hader? Yeah, he's a Dodger. Because you got (laughs) You know who has the money? Apparently the Dodgers. Because the money's not real to them. I'm upset to the Yankees. Uh, no, yeah, he's yeah, he's probably maybe not actually going to the Dodgers. That was, but I don't know. That's that's funny. I I think Dodgers is like the safe bet. I would be interested. I know they already made a big signing, but this to me is not out of something the Phillies would do in terms of they. I think with. The NOLA deal, yes, it was a lot of money. Yes, they probably would not pay haters much. But it's such a Phillies move to now really set it into gear because they're really trying to push themselves over the edge at this point. They're they're really trying to like improve this in any way possible. And I think that if they wanted to continue making their pitching staff better, the Phillies should probably do that. At least throw an offer out because I think it's not out of the question for them. I think – Another, I would also be interested if like the Orioles wanted to do something for once and like go out there and, and go for someone like him because I think their pitching could be improved by him as well. Um, yeah. Yeah, well, and Bautista's out this year. So like they Bautista yeah, is out. They signed Kimbrell, and that's weird because like I don't think that Kimbrell should be a starting closer for a team that's as good as the Orioles. I just think like the yeah. haters conversation the hater conversation is weird because it's not even just you need to find a team that's willing to give him that money. You need to find a team that's willing to give a reliever that money. Like the Yankees mm-hmm. have in the past are willing to give up money. I think the Yankees are beyond giving big money to relievers because of what they had in Matt Blake and just they found and in baseball in general, you can find so many quality reliever arms for cheap that I think it's a very specific type of team that's going to be get, willing to give Hader what he wants and frankly what he deserves. He's been a top closer where it's like Hey, even like a team like Atlanta that's been really good with dishing out money so far, like are they going to break the bank over a hater when like they've Atlanta has kind of been known for like they're not AA doesn't give out like over the top contracts. He's really good with his money. He got a Acuna in that steal of a deal. And you look up and down that line at Austin Riley, like they're all on big steal deals where it's like, are they just going to dump a ton of money towards hater? That's why I kind of like like the Phillies take, like he feels like a guy that could go over to the NL East and just terrorize the Mets. Um, I, he feels like a Philly. Well, other thing back to my Orioles point for a second is he's from Maryland. He started a long time ago in the Orioles organization. Like he was in their minor league system for a very long time before he went to Milwaukee and then did all of that. So this could be a scenario where, Hey, it didn't work out in the minor leagues with this team. You got traded twice to your hometown team see what you can produce for them and do something like that but I I agree I think this is like a Phillies like I think the Phillies have something going on in there I think their front office has been incredible as of late in terms of sleuthing things out and also Bryce Harper is a major pull for anybody nowadays I think that has a lot of influence and kind of things with that so could go either way with that I I actually do like the Phillies and I don't like the Dodgers for this Choice. I, I do love Josh Hader, and I would be thrilled if he was, but I, I honestly, with all of the money the Dodgers have spent, they don't need a closer right now because Evan Phillips is coming off one of his best years. Bruce Star Gratterall, after really struggling in the first year or two of his career, is just throwing babies like 103 miles an hour and striking out everyone he can. 
Daniel Hudson is unfortunately out. They think he'll be back later this year. But even guys like Yancy Almonte had some nice, nice, you know, streaks there during the season. And they re-signed Joe Kelly. And Joe Kelly is, of course, a all-time Dodgers legend after the... And, you know, he's he's coming off also a great year. So I think they would be much better positioned to spend that money on maybe re-signing J.D. Martinez as like a DH coming off of that great year. I think that wouldn't be bad. And maybe you have him as a bench piece when you have Otani as your DH. That would be fantastic. So I think with that, we can wrap up this episode of Nosebleeds. We, this became a lot further reaching than we thought it would be. We thought this would just be a Yamamoto chat. Turns out we covered the entire free agent market. So well done to both Lou and Maddie. Uh, for both of them and for myself, Nick Palmer, this has been Nosebleeds, a production of WFUV Sports. And we will see you when Josh Hader is probably not a free agent anymore. And Blake Snell. They will both be gone. And neither of them will be met. And that's the end of this. Uh, Thank you for listening. Have a good one.